Attention. Attention in detail. Listen up and lead well. You're a VIP, giving you what you need to succeed. Be best you can in your own company. Attention detail one by one, step by step to get the job done. Pops are gonna break it down to you. I ask the questions, get the show started for the attention detail. Hello and welcome to another edition of Attention to Detail with Eric Bird, moving your brand forward as artists, leaders, and influencers. Uh, I am not your host, Jason Bird. I'm actually Eric Bird. We've given Jason the episode off because today is interview day. Interview day, uh, I usually run the interviews, or at least I have so far. And today we have a wonderful addition uh, to give you uh, some information on how to do worship leading in an interesting and a, let's see, maybe informative way. So I don't want to take up too much time because the information and the interview was very robust. But let me just get the... Let me just get the information and the details out of the way. So this show, of course, is sponsored by VIP Consulting, Leadership Done Well. VIP trains leaders in the skills they'll need to take their organization to the next level with vision casting, conflict resolution, staff and volunteer management and engagement, and more. VIP Consulting helps clients create an action plan and works alongside you to execute it. A lot of consulting companies come in, tell you what to do, and then they leave. Attention. VIP works alongside you to make sure that you understand what the action plan is and how to implement the suggestions. Attention. Experience with faith-based institutions, individuals, and organizations have come to learn. VIP Consulting gives you the VIP treatment. Attention. Go to ericbird.com for more information. So today's interview is with uh, Dr. Attention. Douglas Curry. I'm, I'm very happy to say that he's a good friend of mine. But he's a professional vocalist and choral director. Attention. He serves as a resource to the music department at Messiah University for education and training in musical ministry skills, Attention. spiritual development, and the consideration of worship as an integral part of spiritual formation. Uh, he serves as adjunct Attention. instructor in the Department of Biblical and Religious Studies and in Interdisciplinary Studies. He's also responsible for planning, leading, and giving shape to giving shape to campus worship services. So he's, if you want to know anything about worship leading, if you want to know anything about how to plan a worship service, if you want to know anything about like worship leading or worship music 101, this is the cat to talk to. So I don't want to uh, spend too much time gassing him up at the beginning. I want you to get right to the content. This is Professor Douglas Curry, and this is our conversation on attention to detail. Ladies and gentlemen, we are uh, we are entering a new realm for the podcast because we now have royalty as a part of our <laughs> as a part of our our guest network. We we have slowly been ramping it up uh, to have uh, our guests get better and better and better, and now we have certainly moved into the best. So as I as I tell people at now Messiah University, not Messiah College, oh, yeah, people, yeah. At Messiah University, uh, he's not my father, but he's responsible for me being here. Mm. Uh, for it was this man who uh, brought me to Messiah to uh, run the gospel choir there, and so I just want to make welcome to all of you at home, Professor, the beautiful, the wonderful, Mr. Douglas Curry, ladies and gentlemen. How are you, Professor Curry? Greetings. Uh, doing well, uh, healthy at this time, which is really important. Family is healthy and. Uh, my brain is relatively healthy, so good. good. It's all good. 
So you, uh, you have been uh, involved in education for a very, very, very long time, but why don't we kind of do a little bit of a quick dive into your background. You grew up um, always interested in music, being a musician, vocalist, uh, church music. How did that start for you in elementary, middle, high school? Yeah, so, so I was fortunate to be raised by parents who loved the arts. I was in an arts town. I grew up in Sarasota, Florida, which is a very strong um, town that supports the arts in the West Coast of Florida. Uh, some music, theater uh, were two of my loves uh, growing up. And when the doors of the church were open, we were there. My mom and dad were charter members of a church that they started in Evangelical Free Church uh, back in 1958. Wow. And um, so when the doors of the church were open, we were there and we were just involved in music. My mom was a, um, a wonderful singer. Um, I don't have any, my vocal talent, if there is any, <laughs> um, <laughs> comes from the Lord. I'm adopted. Um, so I don't have my mom's genes, um, but they, they raised us to, to love music and the arts, you know, starting with piano at a very early age and then, you know, moving on to other instruments and that sort of thing. Um, I grew to love choral music in part because um, I went to a Mennonite Christian school growing up. Um, through middle school. And then in high school, I attended a very large public high school in Sarasota that had a renowned uh, choral department. Um, so I grew to love choral music, um, finished my undergrad at Messiah College, and then did my grad work, which included both ministry and, and choral conducting and that sort of thing. And then, you know, did my doctorate at Wesley Seminary in, in Northwest Washington, DC, and wow. added courses like the theology of jazz. Um, so in the meantime, was traveling professionally, um, did quite a lot of gigs, um, mostly musical theater um, and opera and oratorio in my 20s. Um, but when I was married and in my early 20s, we, we prayed really hard about what God's direction was for our lives. And it became really clear to me that the church and church music was kind of a, a direction that I should head. Now, what uh, year was this? What year are we talking when you were thinking about this? Because so, um, I'm thinking about where probably, church music was back then. Yeah, probably 95 to 98, 1995 to 98 was a three-year period of time that we had an intense um, prayer journey about direction. Um, and I made a couple decisions here and there. And um, one thing led to another. And I started my, my master's work. And the church where we were attending at the time asked if I would um, come on. not in any paid role, but sort of as a choir director of a choir of 45 people. And I was on the, you know, one of the primary worship leaders and Messiah College then called and said, hey, do you want to come for a nine month interim position? Wow. As what, at, 
at that time called the Minister of College Music. No guarantee of any future. Um, we did a national search. We didn't like any of the people that, you know, that came and interviewed. And you're the you're the local cat who can maybe maybe come and help us out for nine months. Um, and so even though I'm not a risk taker, I jumped in and said, well, sure, let's give this a shot. And nine months turned into um, almost 25 years. Wow. So, so yeah, so, and about a, 15 years ago, I added a faculty component to what I do um, at Messiah. I've also taught at the grad level for Lancaster Bible College grad school, and most recently for the Robert Weber Institute for Worship Studies, which is basically a niche seminary um, in worship and theology studies. So, yeah. So, so that's kind of a that's kind of an overview, nutshell kind of thing. I also do choral judging in the spring. What they call adjudicating for middle schools and high schools it's just a lot of fun yeah so as you explained all that you're i'm th i'm sure it's obvious to the listeners that you're a very learned uh your 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 intellectual acumen for the subject is very high i'm wondering how do you get how do you train other young people or other people that may not have the benefit of getting that PhD, that extra, how do you, yeah. what is, do you have a process for how you get people to start to aspire to get to that kind of understanding to be able yeah. to direct worship in, uh, in terms, in a, in a music way? Good question. So I have been privileged to, um, I wouldn't describe myself as a liturgical scholar. Okay. I'm okay. more of a practitioner. So I, I'm a tweener. So I'm, I'm about the praxis. So principle or theology meets the practice of worship. Um, and I've been fortunate to know uh, colleagues who have far more intellectual acumen than I do, but they're not practitioners. Um, and so the, the combination of working with other faculty members who are liturgical scholars and them then working with me where I'm actively involved on a daily, weekly basis, um, both in the context of my role as a worship pastor, but also as a faculty member teaching undergrad and grad students, how do you do this worship leading thing? So I, I have the I have the fortune, and I think it's a good fortune, of having lots of experience with praxis, where you know the theological foundations are phenomenal. The the core principles of worship are vitally important. But how do you actually make them work in a local context? Right. In right. this kind of church, in right. a large church, in a small church, medium size, this kind of denomination. What do we do um, in Disciples of Christ that doesn't use instruments? Right. Well, how do we how do we integrate the principles of worship in such a way that um, involves people um, to be fully consciously and actively participating in worship? 
-hmm. So for me, I've had the fortune of lots of experience of doing that and pastoring um, alongside other colleagues um, who've either taught or been worship pastors themselves. And so there's just a, a ton of opportunities and experiences that I've had. And basically, I just want to take those um, experiences and ideas and thoughts and questions and bring them to students and say, what does your context look like? How is God at work there? Mm. How can you help your people to respond to the Almighty? Yeah. Because worship is about, the pattern of worship is about our response to God's revelation, like in Isaiah 6, you know? Um, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Um, the train of his robe filled the temple. And I was struck with awe. And I said, woe was me, I am unclean. See, worship for Isaiah didn't begin with, you know, um, the keys played, <laughs> you know, a C major chord or, you know, the guitar strummed or the organ played. No, worship began for Isaiah when Isaiah had a glimpse of who God is. And then Isaiah responded. And you see it again in Luke 24, the disciples on the road uh, to Emmaus walking with Jesus and not even knowing who he is until he breaks the bread. And then their eyes are open. So for me, helping students to grasp that worship is largely about our response to God's initiative and our involvement in a local context, whatever that is, a camp, a church, a gospel choir rehearsal, you know, whatever the context is, how are we involved in God's story? How are we involved in telling God's story, in singing God's story, in being silent before the Lord as a part of God's story? I mean, even that is, I mean, just in music, as you know, um, uh, Professor Bird, the, uh, what gives character to music sometimes is silence. It's those moments of, um, of silence, you know, in between the patterns and the beats, like syncopation, you know? Why should I worry? Oh, why should I fret? It's, it's the pause in between. Even in the silence, helping students to understand how do we use those kinds of um, ideas and motifs, whether they be musical or artistic, or how we read the Psalms or how we pray the Lord's Prayer. Mm -hmm. um, so it's tricky. Um, back to your question, um, how, do you, how do you do it? Well, you start with principle. You always come back to principles, okay. but everybody has a contact. Right. And so for me, I'm constantly trying to get students to think bigger, deeper, broader than what they have experienced. Because the future will look different. And so in order for them to be prepared, I need to give them something larger than what they have experienced. Wow. Something deeper that will carry them through times like COVID. 
um, when we're all going, what the crap is going on? And how do we worship in this new environment? Um, and what does this mean for the church? What does this mean for my local church? Um, we can't even gather to sing right now. What, what do we do? Um, so helping them to think principled, but at the same time, eventually then getting to, okay, let's do some practice. It's so you know, interesting. Uh, it's interesting to hear you talk about that because it's so much not about everything that you said is gold because so much of it is Bible, but it's also has nothing to do. You didn't mention style. You didn't mention instrumentation. You didn't mention traditional or, or contemporary. It has really nothing to do with that. And sometimes um, it's like I, even in a, in a music or a jazz context, I always say sometimes we're our own worst enemy because our best, because we try to, we try to do, um, we try to be all things to all people and it actually waters down what, where God may be trying to move you. So at some point you might say, oh, well, we don't want to make anybody mad. So we're going to have a traditional service and then we're going to have a contemporary service and then we're going to have this kind of service and we're going to have that kind of service and this service will have an organ, but that service will have a drum. And, and you're missing the opportunity that if you build your worship services around principles that are greater, then you can incorporate all of that into one service. And when people see the move of God, they're not thinking about the drums. They're not thinking about a loop track. They're not thinking about stems. So every context does have a history. It has a tradition. It has certain kinds of modes and forms and the word that you use, styles. Every context has them. Sure. But the Revelation 4 through 7 idea of the new heavens and the new earth is every tribe, tongue, language, and people. The nature of the God that we serve is far bigger than any individual contact. So it's, it is a both and. It's a, you know, what do we do in gospel choir rehearsal? Well, we can't just water everything down, as you say, to be all things to all people. Um, and at the same time, we're trying to enlarge our perspective. Okay. Uh, Artistically, we're trying to enlarge it. We're also in trying to, to enlarge our intellect and our experience. And so you're exactly right. Um, style is not the most important thing. Um, it is a thing. <laughs> you have to pay attention to it. Right. Um, you, you have to be able to syncopate well if you're going to be a, a decent musician. Mm-hmm. And excellence is also contextual. What's excellent in one setting is not necessarily excellent in another setting. Mm -hmm. um, but what's excellence is what glorifies God in every setting. Right. Um, and in order to move people, um, you've got to do it with love. So when Paul writes about worship, to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 15 and talks about a whole, whole lot of stuff in that passage about orderly worship, about spiritual gifts and how they should be used in public context, et cetera. 
But right smack dab in the middle of that section is the chapter that for some reason mostly only gets read at weddings. 1 Corinthians 13. Hmm. And the church has forgotten that that chapter is right smack dab in the middle of Paul's instruction about worship. Hmm. <laughs> and so understanding that we're not after a clanging gong um, or a banging cymbal, although sometimes we need it in a good song. Mm-hmm. Um, we're after love of one another and love of the Lord and how we can express that in our context. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's style is not terribly important. Um, you can make your worship style as much of an idol mm. in a megajelical setting with lights and sound that's so loud that nobody can hear themselves sing, but the band is phenomenal. Right. That can be your idol just as much as the traditional service that just has organ and piano right. and a small choir of 20 people. And you worship that style too, because right. so we, so we need to be cautious and careful about where, <clears throat> where our heart is oriented and not to make style an idol. That's good stuff, Doc. That's good stuff. Um, what I, uh, I, I'm trying to figure out a tactful way of saying this, but we've played golf together, so I'm just going to be frank. <laughs> yes. In fact, we witnessed the hole in one. That's exactly right. We witnessed we the were a part of it. As a matter of fact, uh, I think we prophesied that into the hole. Yeah, probably so, probably you more than me. But yes, I think you said it's rolling toward the I hole. I said, get in the hole. And right. in that ball went. But anyway. As the words went out, <laughs> the manifestation <laughs> and the fullness thereof. But but um, there is, I, 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 a lot of my uh, church music career, for lack of a better phrase, was on the Black gospel side. I've been doing a lot of music, not a lot, but I've been doing a significant amount of music on the non-Black gospel side. I don't know what people call that, CCM or just contemporary Christian, I guess it's the same thing, but you know, just on the on the white-hand side, on the white-hand side of church. And I, I honestly, frankly, am shocked. I am shocked at how many churches that are in that style of music are not doing it well. Um, I'm wondering if you have found something similar to that in your consulting experiences. And what I'm driving at is not just to say, oh, well, let's make fun of a particular environment because they're not doing it well. But I'm saying that to say, I'm wondering if maybe one of the reasons why it's not going well in a lot of churches, black or white or otherwise, whatever, is maybe because I'm wondering if in your experiences, have worship leaders or church staff not not considered what you have just spent the last 10 minutes or so talking about. And they have hired based on this man or woman is a really good guitar player, or this man or woman is a really good keyboard player or a really good singer, but their theology, their understanding of worship may not be 
super great. And so then they get caught in the weeds, another golf term, but they get caught in, right. the, in the weeds of style and doing what's popular and the top 10 on Spotify and what's hot. Right. And, you know, I, like, is that, has that been your experience? So, um, yes. Uh, you know, you mentioned consulting. I didn't talk about that at the beginning, um, mostly because I felt like I was talking too much about myself and my experience. But I've also been fortunate to have added a consulting dimension to what I do. And the reason I say fortunate is I see firsthand in a lot of different environments the kinds of struggles and realities and challenges that various churches have. Okay. Um, so I meet with leaders, I attend rehearsals, um, I, occasionally I get the opportunity to lead and or preach. And so I see a lot of different kinds of contexts where the kinds of challenges that you talk about arise. I'm gonna be consistent here and go back to a principle and it's a biblical one. It's from Psalm 78, verse 72, <clears throat> where David is described as a man who led the people with integrity of heart and with skillful hands. It's not a 50-50 proposition in God's economy. It's 100-100. Now, what does skillful hands mean? Well, from my perspective, you do need to develop skill and uh, talent and keep working on it on your craft, whatever it is, whether you're a percussionist or a trumpet player or keyboardist or whatever. But it's not just the skill of playing your instrument and playing the right, knowing the difference between an A chord and an A2 chord. Right. It's also the skill of being able to do this with people live. So I've discovered in my life, and I know you have as well, because you are a world-class jazz musician, that sometimes it's easier, frequently it's easier, for the band just to do its thing. <laughs> What's really hard is when the band needs to do its thing with other people. Right. <laughs> um, because sometimes it feels like we're struggling. Um, to keep together and frequently we're wondering what is wrong with our people and sometimes when we get to that spot we need to stop ourselves and go hold on a second there might not actually be anything wrong with our people hmm. we might not be leading them well hmm. that's skill too so as you say whether it's spotify or word fm or whatever the latest, you know, um, you know, black gospel charts or whatever you people listen yeah. to on YouTube, many churches make the mistake of jumping. They don't, they don't have the patience to walk through the process of what does it mean to sing, let's just say Matt Redmond's 10,000 Reasons, which is a pretty simple song. But um, last night, um, true story on ESPN2 was the Eagles compilation. Yeah, at yeah the floor, a little bit of right? that. Yeah. 
So I'm watching this and on stage um, with the Eagles because, you know, uh, Don Henley has passed away. So on right. stage with them as part of the band is Vince Gill. Right. A world-class musician in yeah. his own right. Yes. Um, you would pay almost as much money just to hear Vince Gill as the Eagles. Right. That's right. But he was not prominent whatsoever in the last hour of the concert that I watched. Um, it was as much about Joe Walsh as, you know, yeah. as, as anything else. Why am I bringing that up? Um, because he has the humility as a musician to have developed his craft to then support the nature of what else is happening with the band. And so some churches have jumped from, oh, we heard the song on Spotify, everybody's got to do it. Or this is, a, this is in the top 10 of the CCLI. Look, all these churches in America are doing it. Let's get our cats to do it. Mm -hmm. And they spend so much time thinking about how can we perfect the musical part of this? And what's frequently lost, Professor Bird, is the congregation. Wow. And what, how do we lead them well? What's the right key for them? Um, Chris Tomlin's a tenor. Most people are not, most men are not tenors. Most men are baritone. Yeah. You can't sing a Tomlin song in church most times in a Tomlin key, for example. Right. I mean, those kinds of things take intentionality and skill. So it's not just the skill with the instrument. Mm. It's also the skill of leading people to be actively participating with us right. um, and frankly I, I think there's no more joy you know when i grew up and when you grew up um there used to be this segment right in the middle of the service right right before the the pastor came on to deliver the sermon frequently it happened during the offering called special music <laughs> right right <laughs> Well, right. I'll say this last thing and then I'll shut up and you can ask me another question or shut me down entirely or whatever. <laughs> Here's something that I have discovered over the years. Mm. The most special music is when all of God's people are singing together. Mm. When they can hear their voices, when they join in the song, regardless of style, as best they can. And that includes... People like my son, my 21-year-old son, Sam, who is developmentally disabled. He's got Down syndrome and autism. Um, most songs Sam can't sing along with because they're just not familiar to him. Okay. Um, but if you start playing Amazing Grace, Sam will perk up. Hmm. Wow. Wow. Well, I suspect what's true about Sam Mm -hmm. is not just true because mm -hmm. he's developmentally disabled. Right. I think the other thing that churches are doing is just constantly chasing the rabbit. Yes. And then not paying attention to the development of a coherent sort of, what do our people know? What, what do we sing? What is our canon of song? What, 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 what does what we sing? What are our heart songs yes. as a congregation? Um, I think that takes skill too, um, and takes a lot of patience and dedication on the on the 
part of the worship pastor, because as you know, at the end of every service, somebody will come up and tell you what they like and what they don't like. Absolutely. Um, but that's not what worship is about. Right. It's it, so funny. The scriptures do not say, praise the Lord if you feel like it. Right. Right. Aren't you glad that he didn't get off the cross uh, based on a feeling? Mm. Aren't you glad that he didn't go to the cross based on a feeling? Mm. Aren't you glad that he didn't uh, do something different based on how he felt at the time? But he actually wanted to please his daddy more than he wanted to please his feelings. He was honest with his dad. Yeah. I don't so really feel said, like doing this, Doc. Right. He said, you know, if, if there's another way, yes, let's find it. So like a good psalmist would say, you know, how long, oh Lord? Mm. But every, every psalm of lament in the psalms, with the exception of one, every single one of them doesn't end there. Mm. They, they, they all end this way with, with one exception. Um, yet I will still praise him. Wow. 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 This is good stuff, ladies and gentlemen. This is Professor Douglas Curry on the faculty at uh, Messiah University, MU. He's also a consultant, a husband, a dad. Uh, and I'm, I'm most uh, proud to say he's uh, uh, one of my very, very best good friends. Uh, and a heck of a golfer, I must say. Pretty good golfer. But you know, as, as we end this, cause you know, I try to keep these things down to about somewhere around the 25 minute, you know, would you be willing to come back at some point and do a part two? Cause I think you would be, you would have a very clear voice on how we do praise and worship in the land of COVID in this pandemic, yeah. where people are having church services behind mm -hmm. a mask and maybe they're not encouraged to sing or you can't even see if they are singing, you can't really hear yeah. them sing. That would yep. be a good part two. So do you be willing to come back and do a part two sometime? That's fair. Great, great. All right, I'll be back with some closing comments after this. Thank you. So, wow, I hope you got um, as much out of that as I did. Attention um, this is our longest episode, but I think it's well worth putting all the content into one podcast and instead of splitting it up over two. So let me just put a bow on this by just saying thank you for listening to attention to detail we'll be uploading new podcasts every week usually on mondays you should be able to find us wherever you get your podcast write a review and like us you can also follow our sponsor vip consulting at ericbird.com my trio my jazz trio is at ericbirdtrio.com and uh, show notes can be found at ericbird.com slash blog where you can also follow the show on vip consulting twitter and facebook pages um, this, uh, so much information, he might be a recurring guest. I hope I can get him Attention. more often, uh, than, uh, just infrequently. So I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. That was professor Attention. Douglas Curry at Messiah university. My very good friend. Thank you for listening to attention to detail with Eric Bird. We'll see you next time. Attention. Attention.